0: The Cooper Talk, I'm your host Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something, people, my guest today, I got an email a few weeks ago from his PR guy and said, You want to go see my client open for two cellos at Wells Fargo in Philly? And of course, well, one, it's a free concert. I'm not turning anything free down, but I had never been to Wells Fargo because for a concert, because when they built it, I had already moved to the West Coast. And secondly I was excited because uh Joanne was going with me, and Joanne never goes to see concerts, he just doesn't like them, so we went, and my my guest was great, and something weird happened, which I got to talk to him during his set, and he he covered up perfectly, but he's about to go over to Europe, and he's uh, he's he's a great singer-songwriter, his name is Matt Simons, how you doing, Matt?
1: Hey, I'm good, Steve, thanks for having me.
0: So, I got to ask you, okay, and you I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, you're in the middle of your set, and all of a sudden, I hear all this cheering, now we're at we're center stage, we're like nine rows back. And I hear this cheering, and, and I'm thinking, did Bradley Cooper walk in? Did an eagle walk in? Because it was just random. It wasn't at the end of your song. It was like in the middle of your song, which, as I remember, it wasn't really a song about love. And um, and and what did you see? Because people, this this guy got engaged. But did you know anything about it, or, or what went on in your mind?
1: No, it was it was a total surprise. Yeah, we were playing playing a song called Open Up, and you started hearing people cheering. I was like, all right. Maybe we're really killing it because we never get mid-song cheers on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I look like four rows, uh, four rows deep in the front. There's yeah, a guy on on one knee and he's proposing. All right, look at that! It just uh, you know maybe that's. I, I don't know if it was like they didn't want to interrupt the two cellos show to do it, so we wanted to get it out of the way during the opener. I couldn't. I didn't know if they specifically wanted to do it during my, my set, but um, it was cool. It was, you know, that's that's always fun. It was a nice little moment, and we could acknowledge it at the end of the song. And
0: um, yeah, it was just, always fun. It was just random to me because you don't know what's going on, and, and it's just so like you said, you know, it's, a, it's you're in the middle of a song, and and I think you know when I got engaged to my wife, I didn't, I wasn't at a concert one, and two, I would wait till probably in between bands, just because you know she's listening to the just, music,
1: yeah or she can like you shoot me a, if you're planning on like shoot me a message and I could make a moment out of it you know I, I could be like hey I think there's something about to go down in in row 4 we could have made a moment about hey you know what she said yes so I guess it all worked out
0: so you're you're a guy who you've been on the road a lot and I got to ask you what are some other weird things that have happened to you while on stage cuz people always say you know I talk to some 80s musicians who, like, back in England, like, the crowds were just brutal. Have you had any nightmares happen to you on stage or just shit that just went wrong and you really have to think on your feet?
1: I mean, technical stuff goes wrong a lot. Uh, It's probably the most common where just, like, a mic cuts out or um, at Hollywood Bowl, like, my, the belt pack that connects my in-ears so I can hear what's going on on stage, ran out of batteries. So I had no reference for what I was playing you know I've got stuff in my ears. it's like basically it goes from having like monitors in your ears to having tissue paper stuffed in your ears basically uh, so we had to have someone come on stage and take the battery pack and, and fix it for me but let's our audience go I mean people like you have like medical emergencies that happen you know people like pass out especially in like if it's a festival drinking all day and it's hot you know, have to maybe stop, stop for that. Um, but it's not like people don't usually. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not in a metal band, so people aren't really throwing stuff at the singer songwriter on stage, unless they really hate the music, which luckily hasn't hasn't happened yet. But um, yeah, you know, shit does happen. But just you just kind of roll with the punches.
0: Now I wanted to ask you about the Hollywood Bowl because I had seen concerts there, and it's such a uh... And I saw your uh, Instagram you the picture. Your name was on the front of the Hollywood Bowl and that sign. And and as a musician, I must just think that that must be like such a. Surreal moment because everyone remembers the Beatles at Hollywood Bowl. I saw Motley Crue and Alice Cooper, and the drum solo came out. and, and people, if you've never been to the Hollywood Bowl, I was sitting in the cheap sheets, seats. The benches are uncomfortable; as all hell. But it's just it's. But the boxes are beautiful. It's such a legendary place. What was it like? I mean, when you found out because you, you're on this tour with uh, two cellos, so you know you're going to play cool places. But what did you? What was you going through your mind when you first found out you're going to play there? And then when it actually became the day you're going to play there?
1: I mean this whole yeah this this whole tour you know getting to roll into to philly and play wells fargo to, to roll into brooklyn where i used to live and be playing barclays center and la where where i live and play hollywood bowl like I, I wouldn't say i'd given up on playing those places but since so much of my audience is in europe i really never expected it to happen in the states because I've, I've played shows that are that are this big over in you know in netherlands and in germany and stuff like that but like to ha- have it happen in america was was really special and Hollywood Bowl specifically you know my mom's mom my grandmother used to sing at the Hollywood Bowl she was in choirs and my mom has memories of like being a child and running up and down the stairs with with a friend so uh, my parents did end up coming down from the Bay Area and got to sit in, and, and watch the show at the Hollywood Bowl so I think for for my mom that was that was pretty special having having been there as a child and then, and then seeing her son play there
0: Now, tell me how you got started in music. You know, you said your your grandmother sang. Did you
1: was were your parents musical, or how did how did it all start? So my my dad has a bit a love for music, and my mom has a lot of music in her in her blood. I mean, her yeah, her parents were opera singers, which sometimes would influence your, you know, maybe would influence your child to be a musician. But I think it made her run. 100 miles in the opposite direction from music i think it was it wasn't necessarily sometimes it just skips a generation you know um but i started playing piano when i was really young and um and still you start playing classical music and and stuff like that i i didn't love i didn't love classical music so i switched to jazz when i was about what 12 playing saxophone and that kind of carried me through all all through college where I got a a jazz performance degree at um, SUNY Purchase up in White Plains in New York Um, and I always did pop music on the side and then when I was about 20, 21 I decided I was going to finally start recording the songs that I had been been writing. You know in the jazz world some would say that pop is seen as a lesser form of music so I kind of kept it a secret (laughs) <laughs> when I, I would like write my pop songs in the practice room, when no, one wait at night when no one else was there, so no one could hear me like playing the piano and singing because I'm supposed to be, you know, playing saxophone and, and playing jazz.
0: Now, what? Where were you finding the writing from? Because well, I always think, you know, when you when you have people who are you know, write when they're younger. It, it's different than when you write when you're older. I know now you're married, I believe, when you have children, so I'm sure when you write is differently. But, but when you're a kid, I mean, I always think, you know, and it, it amazes me because, you know, I somebody, see some of these bands became, you know, they become so young, that they, they they hit it, and I'm like, what are they writing about? Like, what were you writing about when you were young? They, would you wake up and go, oh, Susie just broke my heart? Or, I mean, what would what <laughs> would you, where would it come from?
1: It's funny. I feel like it's a little bit youth Uh, being wasted on the young where like I have the experiences of, you know, are so feelings are so much more intense and the experiences are so fresh of brand new heartbreak, but I didn't necessarily have the writing skills to be able to get those messages across. And now that I've written so many songs um, I'm having to access those earlier feelings that I had, where I didn't really have the, the skill to make the, I don't know, the really, great song i feel like if you're if you've got a, a very young person that's incredibly technically sab- savvy and they also are having fresh heartbreak youthful experiences that's like the magic combo for for great writing
0: now what's your writing process these days i mean like when you sit there does it just come to you and you write or do you actually make yourself sit down or write because you seem to have a lot as you said you write a lot of songs What's do you have a certain process or you just wing it
1: you know, my, my favorite process is to come up with the idea for the song first. I feel like if you can have, it doesn't even have to be a melody. It doesn't even have to be a lyric idea necessarily. It's just like, today I want to write about X. I want to write about, you know, this, this thing. I want to write about, um, you know, I had a song called Not Falling Apart that I played during the set. And I came into that session to be like, I want to write a song where every line is a lie where, you know, it's like sort of not, it's not sarcastic. You're just like, you're lying to yourself. And that, that was the idea for that day. So then it becomes a lot easier to just sort of sit down as opposed to starting completely cold.
0: So back to when you started out. So you, you get there, you go to school for music and then you start recording. Now, how does your career, how do you get that first album out? What was, was it an easy process for you? Or, cause now it seems like you can record easier but there's not a lot of people are buying albums. I mean, it's something I come from a generation where I was like all about, you know, feeling that album, looking at it, the songs. Now, if you want to hear a song, you can just go, Oh, I could buy it for 99 cents or, you know, but how did you get, get to that record deal?
1: So I, my last year of school, I, I decided it would be a good idea to use the free studio that we have on campus. Cause once I graduate. Studios are going to cost thousands of dollars a day, which I didn't have. So I teamed up with a, a buddy of mine that was in the, the production, studio production department, and he kind of produced a small EP, which I have since scrubbed from the Internet. It didn't uh, age as well as I would have liked necessarily, but it, it kind of got my foot in the door. Um, and then once that was made, I you know I self-released just on on iTunes, which I think was really the only – one of the only services at that point. They didn't even, there weren't streaming services yet. It was 2009. So Spotify didn't exist. Um, And I then started using uh, Facebook ads, which were kind of brand new at the time. No one was really using them. It was long before the time that, uh, you know, they were being used to destroy democracy. (laughs) Um, But uh, the, i would just like put out ads for about i would spend about a dollar a day and it would say you know oh, you like jason mraz then like check out this guy who's not jason mraz uh, you like john mayer you know come come listen to this album and i and it ended up being a really cheap way to gain audience on the internet because no one was doing it at the time There were not like ads are really cheap gaining it now it, it's so expensive and it's all algorithm and big, everyone's, you know, all the massive companies are involved in it. So you can't really break, it'd be difficult to break through that way. But at the time, you know, I, I got probably about 10,000 Facebook fans and, and relatively quickly and relatively cheaply.
0: So how do you translate that into business? Because you know, everyone says the numbers, you know, where do you, where do you go with that? Because if you come in and you have 10,000 fans, that's a hell of a lot. I mean, that, that's, that's a good following. I know now you have, like, over 300,000 YouTube followers. But, I mean, at that time, as you said, it's new. The advertisements are new, which the algorithms bother me. I mean, I, I, was, I get stuff from L.A. still, and I, was, I see, like, a great Mexican brush. I'm like, oh, this is great. I go, the hell? It's in, it's in North Hollywood. You know, it's like I'm back here. And they just have that pat, pattern. But what did you do once you had the 10,000? Was that a, a, an asset to you?
1: It's funny. It was an asset, but only because there was one woman who clicked on an ad. She's from the Netherlands, and she was a writer on a big, the biggest prime time Dutch soap opera. And when I released my first full length album, she recommended that one of my songs be used in like the big pivotal emotional moment of the show, and. You know, the next, day, the next day after that, the song went viral, and I went from not really having a career to having having one in that, like, one day.
0: It's amazing, because I remember, you know, back like when Family Ties, Billy Veers, at this moment, became huge, and all of a sudden, he just blew up. So you probably just blew up in the Netherlands because of big shows. So now, when you blow up in the Netherlands, do they call you and say, we want you to come over and tour? I mean, I, it's just amazing, because how someone becomes big in the Netherlands, you don't think you think maybe Canada or or England, but the Netherlands. What was I want to hear the process of after that song becomes viral? Are people calling you or what happens?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I I woke up to a message in my inbox from um, a guy at Sony Music, the label, and but specifically for the, the Netherlands, and he wanted to, you know, he saw the song was just, you know had just blown up on iTunes and. was getting a lot of buzz radio stations were starting to play the song and they wanted to sign me from, from there on out. So I got, and then I had a booking, uh, a booking agent, you know, I'd played, I'd toured America and even played in a little bit in the UK and and actually I'd been to Amsterdam before to play as well. But you know, these shows were maximum a hundred people, usually about a dozen people would show up, you know, sometimes zero people would show up. So a couple months after the, the song is called with you um you know kind of took off in the netherlands i had a 11 show club tour through nine cities and every single show you know about 300 to 500 person and they all sold out like almost instantly so but do, i had never had that before
0: so you, you get you're gaining momentum over there so now so now people know you so is your concentration to sit there and concentrate over there because you're you know you're making your bread and butter there you're making your shoes or, or in the back of your mind, you say, I really want to still crack America. I mean, it must be hard for a young artist to figure out, do you stay with over there? You know, cause you are away from home and, and I mean, I'm sure it's great being on the road over there, but what was, what was your, what was your gut feeling? What did you really want to do?
1: I think it would have been a grave mistake to not invest my time into developing that market where the iron was hot. I think, taking that and trying to run with it in america just wouldn't wouldn't have worked then and i'm glad i didn't do that because i did i you know i ended up spending a ton of time over in the netherlands i did lots of touring I did some opening shows and you know it, it, literally and it was confined within the borders of the netherlands it's a so country about the population and size of Connecticut. So you could think like, well, I'm big in Stamford and right. Bridgeport and Hartford. <laughs> New <laughs> like, Canaan.
0: I'm a New Canaan. Yeah,
1: man, Absolutely. So I, yeah, it's like Connecticut size. And then you, and you go right next door to, um, you know, New Hampshire, and like, no one, no one would like, Germany, like, at that point, no, I didn't have any audience in Germany. And it was Belgium, even like very little audience in Belgium. So you, it was all focused on this one country because they they speak their own language there. Not a lot of crossover, um, and and they have a really self sustaining music industry. I, you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of very famous Dutch artists. Uh, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the music industry just in that small country. And also, I feel like uh, if I were to move anywhere else in the world, it would be there. I just it just feels like a second home when I go there, even now that I go kind of all around the rest of Europe, Netherlands still feels like my strongest uh, connection.
0: So, so how do you build from the Netherlands? How do you build? Cause I know you said you have a big European following. How does that build? I mean, is it something that, as you said, the Netherlands is small. It's not, you know, it's not like, yeah. you know, bands play Germany, people know Germany. I mean, how did you build your following in, in Europe? What did you do to make you, you know, popular over there? Yeah, it's it's,
1: it's funny. I, I I released this song called Catch a Release in 2014, and it was. It's, and I was still, you know, focused mainly on the Netherlands, and it had a, it was a minor radio hit in in Holland. I think it charted at number 100 on the top 100 over there. Like it didn't, it didn't go crazy, but it's still like, you know, it got a little bit of attention in, in the Netherlands, and this was right at the onset of the tropical house movement like kygo was just coming up and there was that epilony Pizza remix that mike posner rem- with sieb um and i feel like there were a few people on soundcloud that were making these like amateur tropical house remixes of catch and release and i would hear them and the ones that they were making weren't really good enough to be released but i kind of had the idea okay if someone were to remix this really, really professionally and really well, I think it could be, uh, it could work. I think, you know, maybe it could be more radio friendly because the original is pretty quiet and pretty slow. Um, so we, my manager who is Dutch and a lot of the DJs that are famous are Dutch. He got in touch with Armin Van Buren's company called Armada, just looking for an up and coming DJ that wanted to do a commission. We could commission a remix for like, you know, a few hundred bucks. And we went through a few different iterations and we came across one by Deep End, who was, it's, now it's just one guy, but it used to be two, a DJ duo. And the remix that they came up with, I thought was just brilliant. I loved it. Um, you know, we, we released it uh, and it started to get all of this, this hype, this independent hype. And then um, there's a website called Hype Machine where it, it's a kind of a chart of what's going viral on the internet and it kept the song kept going to number one on that chart um and that's when radio in europe started to pick it up my label started to service it to radio and it ended up ended up going number one in like like nine or ten countries over there after you know it took about six months for that to happen but yeah the, the song just kind of grew legs and ran
0: What's that like when you look and you hear it's number one? That must be a great feeling. I mean, it's like, it must be something where you sit there and go, holy crap, I'm number one. And I know you can be humble and you
1: can be modest, but it must be a great feeling. Yeah, it was cool. You know, they, we we knocked off Adele. So Adele had just released Hello, which was like uh, number one for 11 or 12 weeks. And when the song that knocked her off of number one in both France and in Germany was, was, was my song. So the, yeah, you know. it's, it's fun when you, when you're my name being mentioned in, even in the same sentences as as artists, like who else was on the chart? Then Bieber was on the chart. Then Adele was on the chart. Um, you know, so that, that it, it feels, it feels pretty cool.
0: Now, were you building up a big following as you toured? I mean, were you getting more people to shows and were you getting more bookings over in Europe because it was a number one?
1: Yeah. I was able to, you know, do my first, uh, tour bus tour all around Europe and, I did two of those in 2016 and we hit a bunch of cities and gosh, where'd we go? It was Netherlands, Belgium, France. We went to Italy. We went to Switzerland. I think we did Vienna, Austria. Um, I went to, of course, a lot of shows in Germany. Uh, So that around that time. And then, and since then, my last 2019, the Europe tour, we added, you know, some of the, the Baltics, you know, a couple of the Nordic countries. Um, uh, Portugal. Like just a kind of all of as much of continental Europe as I can do.
0: So you're 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 hot. Things are building up. You're in the tour bus, and then the pandemic happens. Yeah. So yeah, so as an much. artist, as an artist, you know, you you work hard to get to a certain point. You know, you bust your ass. You know, you're overseas, and I mean, what what was your? Did you think it was going to last? Maybe for like two months. I mean, I talked to different artists who sit there and go, Oh yeah, we did our last show. And we had to fly from England over to the U S. And then we thought, Oh, we'll be back on the road in three months. And then I'm talking and it's like a year later, like, Oh Christ, we're not, what was going through your head? Because you sat there, you were on this streak. And then all of a sudden it's like, stop. You
1: know, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I've been really, really busy since probably 20, between 2014 and 2019. So New Year's, you know, you talk about kind of what you're with friends and what your wish is for the new year, what your hope is. And mine was to travel less. So I think it was like a monkey's paw where right? you, you wish for something and, and uh, the whole world shut. Like, I did travel a lot less, so my wish was granted. But uh, at what cost?
0: Now, do you miss it? I mean, <laughs> during that time, I always think, and once again, I talk to people who say it was great. I got to spend time with my family, spend time with my friends, because musicians are always on the grind, studio, road, writing. And then they said it was great for, like, the first two months, but I'm, I'm someone who used to do stand-up comedy. I was on the road for six years back in the late 80s. And, and you know, I go back on stage every once in a while, and when I do, I'm like, this is great. And then the next day, I'm like, yeah, I have like, drive to another gig. But you yeah. get your body gets used to it. For you, because it was so long, did you start, like, getting... With, I say like withdraw, like stage withdrawal and all? Because you're you're used to that that the the admiration and the cheering.
1: I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss it, you know. And I, I just even that that connection with uh, just with a, even a small audience, you know, two or three hundred people, it, where I'd, having people, I because I would released a lot of music and I hadn't been able to play it for. Me. You know, I probably had five or six different songs that I had released from the from about 2020 um, into this year. And normally, I get to release a song and then I get to go play it at a concert and see who's okay. okay wow! Well, like, look at all these people who have already learned the words and they're singing. Um, so, I miss getting that feedback about new music for sure. And yeah, it's funny you talk about sort of your your body not being ready for the for the road and I do feel like the two years off um, I've aged a lot that you know on this this tour I'm sleeping on a tour bus we drove all the way across the country and I get home immediately and I throw on my back like (laughs) carrying my my nine-month-old son it's like I'm pushing I'm pushing him in the stroller up we live on this little hill and pushing him up the hill and I just like tweak my back like I was kind of like laying down for a few days, and I think it might have had something to do with uh, all that bus sleeping that I was doing.
0: Now, how'd you end up with the Today Show? I know that was a while back, but uh, you're, uh, I got a clip of that. Someone sent me, your PR guy sent me a clip uh, yeah. of that. How uh, did yeah. that happen? And that must have been, that, that's like, that's big time. You know, you got, you got Al Roker.
1: You got Al Roker introducing you. It was it was pretty cool. You know, I did have, there was a moment when Kesha released that remix that I was talking about was I would already done big numbers over in Europe there was a U.S. label called Republic Records that that picked it up, and they're they're the they're kind of the big dogs for U.S. radio. So there was, and they could get big promo opportunities like the Today Show. So I was there was a point I was traveling around America doing radio interviews, which I normally only did in Europe, and the song did not uh, blow up the way that it did in Europe. But it got it got you know there are a bunch of stations that played it. Uh, we had K Fog in the Bay Area, which is what I when I grew up listening to and they were playing the song. Kink Radio up in Portland, a lot of these like kind of they call Triple A stations, which are sometimes public radio, sometimes it's like adult album alternative. It's a little bit more of the indie stuff. Like uh I'm trying to think of who were like the kings of the Avid brothers are kind of like the kings of Triple A radio. You know, and that, that's where that song lived in America. So there's some people know it over here, but it it, that record deal came with things like the the Today Show, and that's how it got booked.
0: Now, how did you end up on the Two Cellos tour? Because I'll be honest, I had never heard of the Two Cellos, and I try to follow music, and my wife had seen a billboard, and I looked them up, and when you think about it, your guys' music is, you know, you're a singer-songwriter, they're like, Bah, fire and shit like that. How okay. did how did that tour happen? Was it because you had the same management? Or I mean, what happened with that tour? And you must have been very excited.
1: I mean, I was thrilled. I, thought, I, I remember first hearing about it and my manager was kind of like, he was like, you know, don't get your hopes up. There's opportunities out there. You're being presented as an option for this tour. And I like to manage my expectations. So I was like, all right, probably not going to happen. You know, um, stuff like this comes by across my... Email a lot, and you know, a lot of times it doesn't work out. Um, but we do. We have the same booking agents in both in Europe and in America. So it's CAA in America, and it's an agency called One Phoenix over in uh, the UK, and they he books them for Europe. And they both recommended me to do the tour because even though it, the music is is different, I feel like there's audience crossover a little. Like it it works. I feel like my shows in Europe when you go to a show of mine, the audience is a, it's kind of a mix of all different ages and kind of all different kinds of, kinds of people. And I think two cellos has the same kind of audience. Like you look out into the crowd and there's young people, there's older couples, there's kind of a little bit of everything. And I think my booking agent saw my audience was a little bit similar to that. So he thought it could work. And I feel like it's worked really, really well. Like, I I don't know. It's, um, the audience has been really amazing on the tour. They normally you go to a show and everyone's talking through the opener, and I don't feel like that happened. Well, in Philly, I feel like people were listening. In Philly, the audience was
0: very different. It was it was like I was sitting there, and you know there was like a family behind me, and then you know I'm older. Me and my wife are older, but like an older couple, and then like these dudes with like big beards that look like bikers. And I'm gonna be honest, during your <laughs> set, nobody talked because I'm one of those people because yeah. I know a lot of musicians and it pisses me off. <laughs> Like if I was at a concert one time and these people would wouldn't shut up, and my buddy was like, "Would you shut up? Because it's so it's so um, disrespectful because you're an artist." But you had them from the beginning. Now, but you you played a little to the right of the stage. Was there was there a reason for that? I mean, did they sit there and say because I know their drum set didn't come out till the middle of the set, but you played to the right. Was there is there was that every city you did that or what?
1: Yeah, that's every. It's it's really just a setup thing. I, you know, they only have so much time to uh, set up the stage in between the set. So I think, you know, they've got the positioning exactly right on that stage. They've got, you know, the cellos all set up right in the center. And I just think they did they, they don't really want to be moving everything around in between the sets. And there's it's such a big stage that there is plenty of space for us to be off to the side. Um, I, I remember at the beginning thinking like, oh no, how's this going to go? But I kind of feel like it was, it's fine. Like, I don't know. I don't know how it was as an audience member, but was it wasn't too, but, dis- too distracting. Yeah.
0: Now, now, do you play the same set every night, or are you mixing it up? Because you have a certain amount of time. Like what what has your been your course of action been? And do they care if you mix it up?
1: I could mix it. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to mix it up a little bit more in Europe. I played this one. I played the same set every night. It just felt, especially because we're just getting back on the road, and also. this audience doesn't know my music yet so I don't it's not like my my shows if I throw in a little a b-side or you know something from one of the earlier records that could be exciting for the audience the audience is on this tour I wouldn't even know it so I thought it was better just let's play the same thing every night let's get it really really tight and then we go over to Europe you know when I we play in Amsterdam I'm gonna I'm going to play that song with you. That's only a hit in the Netherlands, and I don't play that song on the rest of the tour because no one else and there's other countries don't know it. But that's my biggest song in in the Netherlands, so I got to play that one. So we'll, we'll we'll switch it up a little bit overseas.
0: Now, tell me about your new single. You have a great website, people. The website's mattsimonsmusic.com, and, and you have a, it says Thanks. it's I C Y M I. What does that mean? I mean, I know it's there's an acronym for acronyms everywhere. Tell me about the new single.
1: Yeah, and this single is called "In Case You Missed It," and like, you know that's a little. I see, I see why am I is like the internet uh, way way of writing it. And I wrote that song actually. That's one of the few I wrote during the pandemic, and I wrote it with my my good buddy, who actually was the guitar player in my band. We you saw we we did the boxer together, and Chris and I. Chris' Chris Ayer, and I wrote that song. And we you know just kind of writing about that in the beginning of a relationship, this again is referencing, you know, I'm married now. So we're trying to dig in. He's married as well. So we're trying to dig into our, our past and that, you know, that time in a relationship at the beginning where you're kind of trying to find the balance of how eager you need to be when responding, you know, it needs to be somewhere between over texting and ghosting. Like there's a, there's a spectrum in there and you kind of got to find the balance. And, um, you know, so it's, It's kind of about that. You're telling the other person, like, hey, if you, you know, you want to make this a, if you really want to do this thing, then I suggest you should uh, maybe write me back when you, when you get messages and don't leave me hanging here.
0: Now, now, you know, you're, you said you're a father, you have a nine month old. Um, How has that changed your writing? Has it changed your writing? Because. Now it's, you're a, you're a completely, I don't, I've never had kids, but I know my friends who have kids, they're completely different, you know, and, and it's something that, and you're on a road and you miss your kids. If they're not, you know, how it has, are you starting to incorporate that in your writing yet or are you going to wait till it gets a little older or what's your thought process on that?
1: You know, I do it. I do one song on the new album um, that's coming out when the album releases. Uh, it's called Always Have My Love. And it's, I wrote it right before he was born. Um, you know, just saying that, no, through through whatever happens, I'll always be there for him. And I haven't even met him yet. So, you know, we'll see. My, my writing, I feel like, is emotional enough. I don't necessarily need all that extra emotion in there. But I definitely feel, for the first few months at least, you know, you, you're such a sleep-deprived defi- sleep but also just emotional wreck and – um, but I haven't I haven't written that much since he was born, so I guess it remains to be seen how it's going to change my writing.
0: Now, how did you choose to play the boxer? Were, are you a big Simon and Garfunkel fan, or what? You know, what was that?
1: I mean, yeah, I think Paul Simon one of the greatest, if not the greatest songwriter, of, like of all time. And, you know, I love love his stuff, and Chris and I a lot of those early tours we did together. So it's been pretty fun. You know, we pulled the last time we played that song in Philly was probably, uh, we did a tour back in 2018 and we did it, it was a US tour and a lot of the shows were really, really great, but we rolled into Philly and if only 13 people showed up. And this is after I had done, I you know, I've been doing all these big, big shows in, in Europe. Like, man, this maybe is was a waste of time. <laughs> but those 13 was great, those 13 people were. We're, we're a great audience, and we played the boxer that night. And we've we've been playing the boxer for ten years, and we released it as a single um, together over kind of the holidays. sort of a not Christmas Christmas song because it does talk about the winter in New York. And um, I just felt really fun that fact that we've been playing that song so many times over the years. Now we're playing these big arenas. Uh, why not do it together?
0: Now, who would you say are? have been your musical influences i mean were you a a, uh, a young i mean you're younger were you a like an old heart like oh i love dylan or i love this song or, i mean who were your and because you're 30 what you're 35
1: i'm 35 now yeah. so
0: so i always think like because you know we all come from different generations you have different like my generation everyone's springsteen you know but who who were your influences growing up like when you were smaller and have they changed as you've gotten older
1: yeah, I mean, M- McCartney always been my favorite Beatle. I love, and I did, I played a lot of Beatles, like growing up, you know, I, I mean, just played through the entire Beatles, I maybe mean, this Beatles fake book, and I would just go from front to back and play through that. I loved, it's such a great foundation for songwriting if, if anyone's trying to learn. Um, I love Stevie. I mean, I got way into like all the Otis Redding, Marvin Gaye, Al Green when I was playing around in New York, a lot of that old soul. Um, uh, when I was doing cover gigs at bars um I you know also great jazz musicians yeah, John Coltrane Sonny Rollins Miles davis you know all, the, the, those those are guys of big influence on me uh, I love bluegrass music too I love there's a band called Nickel Creek that I've always really really loved and listened to their records kind of religiously in my younger years uh jazz singers you know Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and Harry Connick Jr. That that a lot of influence on me as well. So, kind of comes from everywhere.
0: Now, are you excited about the European tour? Because you're you're out for a while, and you're I mean, it's not you know. There's a lot of I'm sure there's a lot of bus driving there, and there's a lot of beautiful country. Yeah. But, but are you excited? I mean, because I don't always think you know it must be weird because you know your wife's on the West Coast and you yeah. and you're on Europe, so oh, yeah. it's like a. 12 hour time difference. Nine, 9
1: yeah 9 hour time difference.
0: What is that lot. like? What is it like for you on the road because I always sit there, you know, it takes it's a strong woman that can marry a musician because they got to hold the fort down. But they also yeah. know that they married you because what you do and your creativity so it's part of it's part of the game but what are you is it is it a little odd because now you're back for a little bit now you're going back out again which is what you love but then you're like oh shit i'm going to be going for a while nine hours i mean where, where where does where does that put you mentally even when you're performing
1: you know i i think per, performing i i can i can kind of separate it but it's tough all those hours when i would like to be here i would like to be helping and i would just like to be spending time with my boy i mean these you don't get these weeks back. You know, he's, he changes so much every single week that every week that I'm gone, I, you know, I just, I miss a lot, which is, which is really, really hard, which is also why I, I like that this is only, it's only three weeks at a time. And then I'm back for three weeks and then I'm on the road for three weeks. It's not the big eight to 10 week tours that I did when, when my wife and I were dating, you know what I mean? So it, it's kind of like three weeks is a, kind of a maximum, any, any more than that, it's going to, it's going to start to be really tough. But I also stay when I'm on the road, I'm up late. So nine hours or nine hours, the other way it might be really difficult because I don't wake up until later and then I'm going to bed late. So we, we can still keep in touch. And luckily babies are really good at FaceTime significantly better than dogs. Dogs do not know how to FaceTime, <laughs> but babies, babies get it. They see the face, they recognize the face they understand that it's moving and interacting with them. Uh So, well, yeah, like luckily, he he gets it. And
0: I gotta ask you, how, how did you build this? How did you build such a huge YouTube following? Like, you have some videos that have like I think one is like thirty million views. I mean, it's it's sick numbers. I mean, does that just come from a grassroots campaign or people talking? I mean, you can have a hit and it can be a few hundred, but I mean, you have some hit. I saw one had like thirty million views. I mean, that's sick. That's like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, we, yeah, I think there's even a there's one on Catcher Release that has a hundred million even, and it's just like a lyric video. That's the, that's the one that people really gravitated towards um, for that song. But I guess, yeah, you, yeah, I, there, I've had two songs that have done pretty well on European radio. It was, you know, for because for a long time I, I was I was being called a one hit wonder for a couple of years, which. You know, it's it's nice to have a hit, but it was a little hurtful. So I had a song called "We Can Do Better," which I also did on on the tour, and that one it was top ten on European radio. And now, now people can call me a two hit wonder if they want to, but it's <laughs> not as hurtful. So doesn't have the same ring. Doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, well, the hit.
0: thing I always say though, it, it's it's it, you know, you had one hit, and, I mean, but you have it. But I, I always think people think that's such a bad thing. It's like. No, they have one hit. Like, I know actors who have gotten pilots. And they go, oh, my pilot didn't get picked up. I said, yeah, but you got a pilot. I said, you know how many people are right. trying to get pilots? I mean, it's a it's a, it's a success. I mean, if you have one hit, that means millions of people, you know, you, you've had the <laughs> life more better than most people. you got the tour playing your music and doing what you do. Now, the album, you said the new album, when's the release for that? And is it all done now?
1: Yeah, the new album comes out, uh, gosh, is it next week. May May sixth or something? What's what's next week?
0: May sixth would
1: be uh Friday. Yeah, I think it comes out on on, on Friday Friday next Friday, a week, yeah. May sixth. So it's it's coming.
0: Now what what are your anticipation? Like do you sit there in your mind and say, I want to sell this much or if you don't hit something do you get upset? Or are you just happy because you have a new album and if people like it? I mean what what's in the anticipation of a singer songwriter when they Bring
1: something new out. You know, I it probably the last time I released an album, there were a, a ton of new unreleased songs, like like normal with an album. But this release, I've done what what you call a waterfall release, where you kind of release singles one at a time and you build um, as it goes. So right now, there is an album out there with four songs on it that are all released on Spotify, like the you know the, in case you missed it single or EPS. And those are all going to be on the new record because, uh, and this is the least creative thing you can say, but the algorithm favors singles. You know, it used to be that an album was the beginning of a release cycle where you put out the album and it's got a single on it. And then you release more songs off of that album as singles. And there are a very, very select few artists that can still do that. Now, if you're, you're an artist and you've got, an album out that's the end of a release cycle you're not you're not no songs are going to be special from that album anymore so it makes sense to release everything as a single it shows up in people's like release radar playlists if it's a single and you're just going to get more streams on your song and more attention to that song than if it's just sitting on an album that nobody really buys anymore
0: and one final question What's, what's your long plan? Where, where do you see yourself in five years? I mean, what, what, what's, I mean, seriously, what do you want? I mean, do you want to become a megastar or do you like where you are? Because some people don't want to become that big superstar because their whole life changes. They never get their life back. I mean, what do you want? What does Matt Simons want?
1: I truly believe there's a sweet spot in um, notoriety, and that's when people know your music and they know your name but they don't know your face. So you don't want to overshoot that and get too famous. Um, But I'm also in the place now where in in Europe, I think a lot of people know my music, but they don't know my name. So if people could, if we could get to the point right there and then I could just stop. (laughs) Don't don't, don't tell my label this. (laughs) They would like it to go all the way. But I think this really the sweet spot is right there.
0: And now, are, once this album comes out, have you already started working on your next one? Or are you going to take some time and just go on tour? Or what? Do you? what's your... I mean, you've got to sit there. You're probably churning the creative process when you're on the road. But what's your... When's the next album? Do you have any idea? Or are you just like, I'm not even going to think about it?
1: I'm going to start writing, but um, I'm going to take a break. This one, these last two records, I kind of did back-to-back. Like one in 2019 and now one in 2022. That may not feel like back-to-back, but I was done with the other record and i already had five or six songs from the new record so i'm going to take maybe take some time with this one and really really sit and conceptually and artistically feel like i don't know try and find try and find what 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 am i trying to do what am i looking for Um, i think that's an important step to take at this point
0: well, that's awesome. I want to thank you for taking the time. I really enjoyed the show and as, uh, and it's funny, my wife started, and we both started following you on Instagram and you post some good stuff there and, and you know, uh, I think Instagram's great because it gives a different side of an artist. It doesn't, you can just put a picture up and put a caption and people will find it because, you know, you get on Twitter and, you know, you can, post something, you know, Twitter is, oh, fuck you, you suck. Like, wait
1: a second, I just posted a picture of me on stage.
0: And I mean, you know how it is, I mean, especially being in the public eye. But do you, do you like posting Instagram? And would you, every show, do you try to do it or do you try to keep a pattern because your fans seem to like it?
1: Yeah, Instagram's the one that, you know, if even if I didn't, well, wasn't an artist, I would probably still have an Instagram. The rest of them, I don't, I don't know that I would in other platforms. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's it's a tough, because as a musician, it feels like social media is a job that nobody signed up for. You know, it's so different from creating music. It's such a different skill set, being good at the internet versus being good at making music. There are some people who, who do a great job at both, and, and it works really naturally. But I think a lot of musicians struggle with, um, okay, I've made a great product my music i really love and enjoy and the only way that i'm gonna get anyone to hear it is if i go viral on tiktok right you know that that just seems like what's the old mitch Hedberg joke be a be a comedian and then asking you to act it's like being a chef and then like oh can you farm right it's just like <laughs> totally i don't know, like it's just a different skill set. it's related kind of to being an artist but um, it's pretty. It can be pretty soul crushing and, and 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 difficult. And I think a lot of artists are going through that right now.
0: And now, what is your Instagram?
1: Matt Simon's music.
0: So people, Matt Simon's music. Go check him out. Great pictures from the tour. Go to his website, matsimonsmusic.com Go purchase his new single. Uh, get his new album and uh, check him out. And uh, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over nine hundred episodes. Email me, Cooper at cooper dot net. Twitter, Matt Cooper Talk. Instagram, Matt Cooper Talk One. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.